in uh, uh, an episode uh, of Groundhog Day. <laughs> you sure it's not the Twilight Zone? <laughs> I have no idea, man. Hey, so thanks again for, for hopping on number, what, four? <laughs> Pretty sure this is number four. We're, we're having technical difficulties, everyone. Um, this is uh, Philip uh, Andrew Hamilton. Um, we are on United Talk with Virginia United. Philip, I'm going to give you the reins and let you uh, talk about yourself a little bit. So I'm uh, one of seven children. I was uh, born in uh, Norman, Oklahoma, and uh, my father, you know, immigrated here from Iran. So I'm half Persian. And when he came to America, uh, he uh, ended up working for the Severe Weather Center, and he was assigned to work on the Doppler team. And what they did is they reduced the range of detecting these tornadoes from 25 miles down to a five mile range. And NASA heard uh, about all the work that he and his team did. So he actually got hired to work as an electrical engineer at the NASA facility in Maryland. And uh, from there, our family relocated. Uh, We ended up going to Germantown, uh, Maryland. And uh, we ended up relocating another time to Oakton, Virginia, right before I started public school at Flint Hill Elementary in uh, in Vienna, and Very cool. uh, but I spent, I'd say, most of my life was was spent in Fairfax, uh, Virginia, and I got to see how how it changed over the years. Oh yeah, in uh, Loudoun County yeah. too. Boy, I mean, talk about a population increase out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's it's blown up quite quite a bit actually, and I'm sorry that uh, you you weren't able to relocate to Florida. <laughs> that's uh that's that that's where i'm from originally and uh I, I would i would choose that over fairfax any day no offense <laughs> yeah but hey, i don't um, blame you you know over hey, the but, holidays i was in lake worth florida okay uh, cool. for almost a month and um you know it was great you know like december to the beginning of january it was 80 degrees for for many days um they had a hundred foot christmas tree in delray beach florida uh which was fantastic it actually reminded me of this giant redwood um tree uh christmas tree that they had in uh uh, near mendocino california that i saw three years ago um so that was pretty fantastic but a lot of great art galleries art sculptures um the breakers hotels in west palm beach where uh, same county that that president trump lives in uh but there's a lot of places to visit I, i love going down to florida yeah, it's nice. I mean, I'm I'm originally from the Keys. Um, was born in, in Duck and grew up in uh, Isla Mirada, which is um, just south of uh, Tavernier. And uh, it's a different world. It, it's it's literally it's it's. I mean, I, I can literally say that it is a completely different atmosphere and environment than from the rest of the Florida. Hence, uh, hence them calling themselves the the Conk Republic. Um, I know if I remember correctly, it was in 80, I want to say it was 1980, pretty sure, um, that they actually seceded from uh, the country for, I think that lasted for about 30 days. And that's where they got the name, the, uh, the Conk Republic from. Um, and uh, it's a kind of, kind of a neat backstory to it, but we'll go into that uh, another time maybe. But uh, yeah. so what, <laughs> um, yeah, I want people to kind of know like w- 
what your affiliation is and, and what you're doing now. And, um, you know, I'll let everybody know we met initially, uh, if I remember correctly through the uh, young Republican, um, uh, group or federation with, um, I think it was uh Kimmy cross camp if I remember correctly. And, uh, I think you're affiliated or you were affiliated with, with the young Republicans at one point. Yeah. You know, I've been working with young Republicans for, for years. And when I was in um, Caroline County, I was actually uh, one of the members of the Fredericksburg area, uh, young Republicans. Okay. And uh, I was involved with them for over three years. And that was at the same time I was the chairman of the Caroline County Tea Party Patriots. And, okay. Uh, but in 2015, I actually left Virginia, went to Des Moines, Iowa, um, in Iowa City to work on um, Concerned American Voters PAC. And what they were doing is that they were helping Rand Paul's presidential campaign. And uh, they moved us from Iowa down to um, Vegas uh, before the end of the year. And I worked on basically I was helping out Rand Paul until he dropped out um, in the 2016 uh, primary. It's kind of an interesting um, you know, scenario considering uh, you once were we're not part of the Republican party. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, <clears throat> if we go back to when I was younger, you know, when I was in um, high school, I was actually the president of the, of the young Democrats and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a different times, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of things, you know, think living in Fairfax, you know, you know, I had government teachers and, and whatnot who are more liberal and, um, you know, there were friends of mine who were definitely more liberal and, you know, even my father, my father's Republican. He'd bring the Washington times publication home and I'd read that a lot, but, but I was seeing a lot of different perspectives, but right. being a youth, I wasn't really, you know, you kind of get swayed more one side or another. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of opposition to the rock war that was going on at the time. So I think I got, you know, pulled more into the anti-war sentiment that a lot of people were, were feeling at that time. And mm-hmm. I think that's really what pulled me into the young Democrats during the Bush administration. But, you know, I, I realized, you know, we had a debate with Christopher Day and uh, he was the chairman of the young Republicans. And we had discussed, you know, questions about um, fiscal responsibility and the need to reduce, you know, government deficit spending um, you know, which is a big uh, premise of the contract with America under New Ginrich and, uh, you know, national security, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, Second Amendment rights. And there's a lot of things that we ended up agreeing on because I said, well, you know, I don't want to I don't think that people's guns should be taken away. People Second Amendment says shall not be infringed. So we should take it at its word. And right. uh, Christopher Day said, well, you know, we, we agree on a lot of these, these topics. Oh, why don't you join the young Republicans? And I said, sure. And the, the jaws <laughs> dropped for every single young Democrat member in oh, the I'm club. Sure. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Well, I mean, you know, if you look at it from a perspective from, from the, the last 15 to 20 years, I mean, there's been a, a, in my personal opinion, a radical shift as well. Um, you know, a, a lot of, what I've seen as far as what or how the mindset or the thinking of Democrats were 20 years ago has uh, would today be considered almost uh, conservative. 
um, in, in many uh, areas. So, you know, there's a, I think there's some extremities that have, have happened, but, but also if you look at the Republican party as well, a lot of their, their, you know, conservative values and maybe not so much, you know, core value system as a whole, but a lot of the, the, the mindsets of 20 years ago, again, would be considered, you know, hardcore right conservative versus now would be, you know, very liberal. Um, so it, it just, it, it's, it's interesting to see how a lot of it has changed and how it's transitioned. And, um, yeah, that's true. I, and even let's take example, you know, gay marriage, you know, yeah. I remember I was actually, I used to work, um, for the national security subcommittee in Congress. And I actually was watching the debate in Congress about whether or not to have a constitutional amendment on marriage and mm-hmm. I actually bumped into former Republican Arlen Specter from Pennsylvania. And how I recognized him was from the bald spot on his head. And <laughs> we, we went to elevator together and I saw that bald spot and I was like, wow, I really recognize that. I'm like, oh, that's Arlen Specter. So I tapped him <laughs> on the shoulder. I said, are you Senator Specter? And he said, sure enough, I am. So, you know, we <laughs> ended up talking for about 20 minutes. He had me ride the tram with them and there's a tram that goes under the Capitol that connects you to um you know the the house and the senate buildings and to the white house but i only had access to the um the house and in the senate buildings not to the white house uh tram but he took me all the way up to his office and we we said And uh, but the thing is that the whole debate was, are we going to you know, allow gay marriage to um, be part of our culture or are we going to um, pass this amendment? And, right. you know, the thing is, a lot of Republicans then in 2006 said, no, we need to protect traditional marriage. But now in 2022. I'd say a lot of, especially the young Republicans that I've met um, are supportive of gay marriage. And they think that, you know, we should respect people's choice. You know, if they want to marry someone of the same gender, then that's part of individual liberty and we should let them um, do that. So mm-hmm. just yeah. a matter of, of a short span of time, the opinions changed quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and that would go from, from both sides of the spectrum as well. Cause you know, I, I had some friends who were hardcore, Clinton fans and uh, they were very much so against, um, you know, gay marriage. And, uh, and, you know, I think once um, Obama went into office, actually their, their whole perspective and viewpoint changed. And, and these are some of these individuals that I know are devout Catholics that were very much so against it. And now they're very, very for it. So, you know, it's just interesting to see the, the shift, um, and the mindsets and you know, just from when I was younger growing up, the, the mentality was if, if you uh, were uh, basically attracted to same sex, it was a, it was a taboo, something that you didn't really talk about too much. And uh, if you did, then you literally were deemed uh, an outcast and you were pretty much ostracized. And uh, now in today's society, it seems to be almost glorified, um, you know, and, and, you know, viewpoints obviously are going to be different across the board on that, depending on a lot of different, um, you know, variables and whatnot. But it is interesting to see that these are things and transitions that we're, we're starting to um, 
I think put maybe more emphasis on in, in some aspects and then less emphasis on in, in, in other areas as well. Um, so it's definitely interesting to see how, how it all transitions, how it all uh, unfolds. And um, you can just see throughout the past 20 years or so actually where we started seeing more and more of this, you know, type of uh, mentality and mindset um, as far as it not being taboo was starting to get introduced into, you know, television programs and, it became more and more acceptable and now you're seeing it in children's cartoons and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm personally, I'm not really sure that's a, a healthy thing, but, but, um, I think it's more so something that the parents need to kind of go over with their kids personally. But, um, you know, it, again, it just shows that, uh, we are progressively moving ever so for- forward as always, um, as a culture. So it's definitely interesting. Um, so what specifically are you, getting ready for currently in your endeavors? Well, that, that, that's a very good question. You know, I, I'm st- even though, you know, I ran for the Virginia house of delegates last year, I ran a very tough district. You know, I was actually the first Republican to run in the 57th house of delegates district in 16 years. So hmm. Bush was still president the last time a Republican ran. So to put it in perspective, Right. And, uh, you know, I knew it was going to be an uphill battle. I, I knew it wasn't going to be easy. Um, but I said, someone has to do it. Someone's got to, you know, uh, stand up to Sally Hudson, you know, who's educated MIT and, you know, um, in economics. She has a degree from Stanford University, who, who's an economics professor at UVA. And, you know, she supported things like the destruction of her history. You know, she, she supported the removing the Stonewall Jackson, the the general Lee and the um, Lewis and Clark statues. So she was in support of all of that. Um, I still don't see how, how that's radically changed anything <laughs> as far as a mindset's concerned. What exactly, what did that accomplish? Uh, I'm still trying to, to see the, the ripple effect of, of what that actually accomplished and, and tearing down of historical monuments and, and so forth. I, I just don't see how that's, changed or impacted the mindset of individuals as a whole. Um, that's something that's really interesting to me to, to, to think about as far as from, you know, from 2020 or even before that 2019, when, uh, things started to kind of go a little haywire, but 2020, when we were really, you know, dealing with a lot of stuff specifically here in Virginia, where historical monuments and whatnot, were just getting, you know, torn down, destroyed and uh, vandalized. Uh, I don't see how that's, changed the perspective of the individuals that uh, tore them down well f- former charlottesville mayor nakia walker I mean, she claims ah uh, yeah <laughs> yeah the, the very colorful yeah, the, mayor right oh <laughs> uh, i would say beyond colorful i mean her between her twitter her twitter feed and her facebook feed talking about basically pornographic material for the rest of the world to see <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I'd say colorful is putting it lightly. And I spoke to teenagers who had read that tweet. So, you know, I mean, imagine the disgust the parents were having after learning that their their children were reading, you know, about Charles mm-hmm. wrapping you in its cum stained sheets and, and raping you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, you know, a mayor who hates her city is not a proper uh, mayor who's fit to lead. And I called for her to resign multiple times. And she yeah. said that racism was defeated after removing the statues and like well there's still issues <laughs> with the city you know you can't inanimate objects aren't going to stop what people do <laughs> yeah yeah it, and and it's a mindset it's not something that's going to 
you know, tearing down a statue or, or, or a monument of an individual who's no longer living, who has no say uh, as to what their mindset at the time was, um, or can defend themselves, it's it's a little it's a little uh, asinine to me to even think about that type of, of of mindset because what's happening is we're living in a perpetual cycle ourselves by allowing ourselves to think that we are either um, slightly handicapped by you know the color of our skin or how we were raised or where we grew up or our uh, economic social levels, where we stand as far as how much we're making or whatever it may be. Um, I think that's really what's the problem. And the school systems really aren't helping right now, or at least they weren't, were not helping very much with uh, some of the things that were being implemented specifically with, you know, critical race theory and things like that, where you're literally teaching a handicapped mentality or victimized mentality to young children. Um, to re- just really rely on um, the government when they get older because they're thinking that they're not going to ever be anything or, or amount to anything. I think that's a huge problem. And, and this goes back into the tearing down of monuments, you know, the mindset of these individuals. Some, some people I think just did it because they wanted to do it just because they wanted to destroy something. They just had this, this mentality of, I, I want to vandalize something. And then there were, were some people that felt like they were, you know, potentially doing it because it was a reminder of, you know, uh, egregious time in our, our, you know, our, our country. Um, but as far as what did it actually solve, I just don't see any, any kind of, of uh, alleviation from what, what was, you know, what happened from it all. Yeah, no, I agree. And- you know, when I spoke to the city council and I, I wrote them and I actually spoke, in, it was all Zoom meetings. So there was no in-person meetings with the city council right. in 2021, which I thought was a disadvantage because there are people I knew who, who didn't own a computer and they couldn't have their voice heard. So their voices were shut out. But what yeah. I advocated and some of my supporters advocated said, well, instead of taking down these historical monuments, why don't we add context? Why don't we add more statues you know, we have statues to the Confederates, but why don't we add statues to the Union, like United States colored troops to mm-hmm. to grants and other generals um, in the Union? And we show just like Gettysburg and Antietam and Vicksburg and these both sides of the story. And I think it's a huge yeah. problem in the South is that we're just so one-sided we're only we've only erected statues to the confederates well why don't you know why don't we fix that and tell both sides of the story mm-hmm. but the thing is the 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 marxist leftists in the city council and their supporters have no interest in telling the whole story they um i actually went to this webinar after election it says down with the confederacy tales from black activists and they said and I asked him, I was like, why don't we erect, you know, statues to the United States color troops? And he said, erecting statues to people is a continue is rooted in white supremacy and to do that as a continuation of white supremacy. And they said <laughs> they'd rather have statues dedicated to inanimate objects, you know, or things that are less divisive. And I was right. like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't understand the logic behind that, that that mentality but you know I, I probably never will um regardless of how how hard i try um i, I just you know i feel like that's uh, there's there's just there's some 
irony in it a little bit, but it's just to me just it doesn't make sense. But if anyway. I was a black activist, I would love to see black historical figures represented in the public space. That was mm-hmm. something I would take a huge level of pride in. Yeah. Um, but the fact that some of them don't want to see that to me is it, it's just baffling. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I don't know. I, I can't help but think it's somewhat intentional as well. But um, you know that that's another another rabbit hole. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and we have many. But you know, the good thing that Youngkin did is that he kicked off his inauguration, and part of his inauguration day was at the reconciliation statue, the new one that was erected last year, showing mm-hmm. people, you know, um, black Americans who fought for civil rights, who fought against slavery. And I went to that statue two weeks after it was erected. It's, it's a powerful piece of art and I a hundred percent support it. And I think we need to tell that story. And I'm yeah. glad that the new governor decided to say, this is something I support and we need more of this in Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of really good, hopefully changes and, you know, considering that we've been in a, a a cycle of 10 years basically r- routinely having you know a, a blue uh state um it's gonna be interesting to see how Yunkin changes things up a little bit specifically with the you know, the uh, if i remember correctly 11 executive orders he signed first day in office and how that's going to to pan out because there are a lot of um individuals specifically that i know that were were a little hesitant and not per se of Yunkin as a whole, but just the fact that, you know, we've got somebody who's new, who doesn't have a whole lot of experience um, politically and potentially uh, is a very progressive um, uh, you know, Republican. A lot of people were, were worried about that, that coined rhino token that uh, everybody gets passed off on. And, and I think Yunkin so far as, you know, obviously he's only been in for uh, less than a week now. Right. Um, but so yeah, far, First day, 11 executive orders, and uh, it seems to be that uh, we're, we're at least going in the right direction there. Yeah, I, I'm encouraged by it. And, you know, we're going to have to give it time and see see how it comes along. And, you know, I think it was very forceful for him to come down and say schools can no longer tell, you know, um, the kids that all of them have to wear a mask. If parents mm-hmm. want to exert their power and say, my child will not wear a mask on school grounds. The school should abide by it. But unfortunately, yeah. we're getting pushback. You know, we have in Arlington, Alexandria, Albemarle, yeah. Fairfax County. Yeah. And then we have in Chesapeake and in Henrico. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. sure there's going to be more on top of them. Um, they're yeah. all resisting the mask mandate. So we're going to have to look at ways that the governor can take action. Is he going to pull yeah. funding from those schools? Um, is he going to file lawsuits against them? So, you know, and I alerted uh, Patty Menders, who's my former political consultant. She worked for Majority Strategies. Um, she actually didn't know that the Omar County, you know, Charlottesville was, was resisting it. And I just sent it as soon as I found out, I sent her. I'm like, look, you know, they're, they're going to resist the mask mandate. And we'll see if the attorney general's office can take action because she started working for Jason Miras last week. And She's very much involved with the mass mandates and CRT and make sure it's not being taught in our schools and other things. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how it all, how it all pans out and uh, we'll, we'll see ha- what happens. And I do think that, you know, Glenn's got a, an uphill battle though. 
definitely has an uphill battle. Um, but uh, I, I think if I remember correctly, I saw that uh, uh, Jason Myers as well um, like fired like 30 individuals. Yep. There, there were some firings that happened last weekend. Um, yeah. Relating to the parole board. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's interesting because it seems like, you know, these guys are, are, they're kind of hopping into a, a, a whirlpool situation where you just have a lot of, a lot of variables, a lot of issues that have been going on. And it's, I think it's going to be very difficult. So hats off to them. Cause I know they're going to be, um, you know, up to their necks with, you know, different, different things that they're going to have to continually work towards. And, and again, an uphill battle the entire way, but um, it is interesting to see how I think, you know, and this is subjective, but I think within, you know, with 2020 and, and then, you know, 2021, I think people in Virginia and I think maybe throughout the, the rest of the country um, started to see uh, more and more uh, overreach in some scenarios. And it, it, I think people just got tired of it. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, obviously there was great campaigning with Glenn Youngkin and, and, you know, Jason Myers and, and also Winsom Sears. Um, and a lot of people worked really hard, uh, you know, to get these people uh, where they need to be. Um, but I think people in general just started getting kind of tired of this, this authoritarian type of uh, stance on everything that's been going on, not just, you know, specifically with, with COVID, but what we've seen, um, you know, within, you know, politics as a whole and, and Congress and, and, you know, the media, social media, mainstream media, um, people just are losing faith uh, in our democracy and our government and the media and our healthcare systems. A lot of people are just getting fed up. And I think a lot of people are, are starting to, to narrate that or tie that into to a lot of this is, is coming from a, a, a democratic extreme standpoint of view and people are just like enough's enough but you know maybe i'm wrong i don't know it just seems like i'm glad you brought this up because i'm going to elaborate on this quite a bit you know because in united states congress with nancy pelosi you know she has the gavel and you know they've they've forced a mass mandate in congress and whatnot and you can be arrested if you do not (laughs) wear a mask um if you're not a congressional staff or if you're not a member of congress which i think is Mm -hmm absolutely ridiculous you know how is that an arrestable offense um (laughs) and and another thing i'll mention is this morning i was um actually at the pocahontas building in richmond there was a uh, senate hearing in room a um regarding ivermectin and uh, other COVID-19 treatments um and there was multiple doctors and nurses and pharmacists and and other medical professionals were all there. And uh, we all agreed this, you know, a year ago, Joe Biden said, I will shut down this virus on the inauguration day. (laughs) And what's happened. It's gotten worse. There's more COVID deaths. Well, yeah, yeah, you look at it, you look at it though, from, from a perspective of, of, you know, it being highly politicized. I mean, you look at the, the vice presidential debate, um, when, you know, Kamala, uh, was, was on with, with, with Pence, she, she said on national television that she wouldn't take a vaccination under, under, or vaccine under the Trump administration. And, you know, Biden, uh, was on national television, television talking about his hesitancy towards vaccines and 
Um, you know, we didn't have enough information. And, and you know, Nancy Pelosi, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, I mean, there were so many different major political figures that basically under the Trump administration were like, we're not going to take a vaccine or we're hesitant. And then all of a sudden, 2021 comes around and they do a 180. And then they're pushing these vaccines constantly as, you know, preventatives. And then they don't understand why we have vaccine hesitancy. They don't understand why uh, people are, are all of a sudden just like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then we have, you know, big, big social media influencers or media influencers such as like Joe Rogan. And he took ivermectin and he took uh, monoclonal antibody treatment. Trump had monoclonal antibody treatment through Regeneron um, when he had COVID. And, uh, you know, the media starts bashing these individuals. I mean, CNN came on and basically said, you know, Joe Rogan's taking ivermectin. He's taking a, a horse deworm. This is a veterinary use medicine. And how dare he essentially, you know, and we have, you know, data. I mean, 2015, for example, ivermectin won a Nobel Prize for use in, in authorized, authorization use in humans. I mean, it's been used over 60 million times in humans. And the fact that either you're being censored if you try to talk about it, or you're being defamed or completely ostracized if you try to talk about it, or if you were a, a physician or an epidemiologist like uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, um, or a virologist or immunologist or whatever it may be, talking about something that went against this narrative of vaccines, then your medical license was at risk of being you know, stripped. And you know, we have concrete evidence, at least for monoclonal antibody uh, treatment, and, and I myself can, can speak for that because I had it done when I had COVID, um, that it works. And uh, you know, prime example, I tried to post a video on it when I had the treatment done and, and on Facebook and social media and they took it down, said that it went against their community, you know, uh, yeah. guidelines. So the fact that we're having censorship to, to this extent, it just ties back into the distrust that we're, we're receiving from, um, from, you know, many, many, uh, Americans, um, when it comes to social media, mainstream media, government and, and whatnot. And, you know, you see things like Nancy Pelosi and, and there's a gentleman, um, He's on. He's relatively big on Twitter, but he follows uh, trading and insider trading. It's called Unusual Whales, and he posted this uh, this uh, article months ago, and it's just gained more and more traction about insider trading and how Nancy Pelosi, being one of the top insider traders, who's made over two hundred million dollars in the past year, um, and in today's stock market, I don't know if you've you've been looking at the stock market recently, but it's it's been relatively red over the past uh, couple of months. Um, and I think that's due to a lot of reasons we're, we're going into a correction, but, but also inflation and, and whatnot. But, but you have all of these different individuals in Congress on both sides of, of the political spectrum that are making buku bucks and they are saying, Hey, it's okay if we trade, but you know, insider trading, uh, specifically for you, you no, know, no, that's illegal. You can't do that. So we're seeing a lot of these rules for the, and hey, what's going on again? Hey, so uh, just to, to, to finish up what I was saying, insider trading, basically rules for the, not for me. And, um, and that seems to be kind of the scenario that a lot of people have been seeing with, with our, our politicians, elected officials and what's so, so forth. And, and uh, I think a lot of people are just, you know, they're, they're over it. And I think that's, Going back into what I was saying is one of the reasons why people are, you know what, we're going to we're going to do something different. We're going to vote differently than what we normally do. And, and we'll we'll see what happens. But, you know, obviously, COVID has changed 
a lot of things and the fact that, you know, social media and, and, and mainstream media are censoring things like treatment and um, um, just pushing one narrative. It's pretty concerning. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, even before Operation Warp Speed began the Trump administration, you know, I said that the lockdowns aren't working, you know, fear mongering, social distancing, masks. Because the thing is, with with an aerosol virus like this, everyone's going to get it. Mm-hmm. So the focus, instead of you know, prov- you know, trying to, to having impose these mandates uh, to prevent a virus that can't be prevented because everyone's going to get it anyways, the focus should instead be on treatment. And Florida yep. Governor Ron DeSantis and other Republicans have been saying this. You know, mm-hmm. three years on, we need to focus on treatment um, and. I actually, you know, b- before Operation Warp Speed, I said, well, there's, you know, there's no mRNA injection that exists yet. But what I'm doing to help myself is I'm taking vitamin D3. I'm taking um, uh, zinc. And there's Harvard studies and other studies that have shown that people who have higher levels of zinc and D3 in their blood have less severe COVID symptoms. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, when I um, caught COVID, uh, last January, and this is while I was running for the House of Delegates, um, I had very mild symptoms. I didn't lose a sense of taste, didn't lose a sense, sense of smell. Um, it was really gone within three days. And that's because I took the measures to arm my immune system to fight off this virus. And you don't hear any, you know, you don't, you don't hear like the officials in the FDA or CDC, Fauci, or all these other Democratic uh, politicians, you don't hear them saying the importance of taking vitamins. They're just pushing this mRNA injection over and over and over again. But what happens when you have folks like Colin Powell who are fully vaccinated but end up dying? Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, the, the, you know, the mRNA injection is not the end-all, be-all. And at this hearing we're at earlier today, a lot of these doctors and physicians and nurses who were there at the um, Virginia General Assembly, uh, uh, well, the Senate building, um, they were they were saying this. You know, they said we need to have um, all different types of treatments on the table, not just mm-hmm. the ones that are mainstream. But the Democrats, uh, including Senator Lucas, only allowed five minutes of testimony. So only two doctors were allowed to testify, one for four minutes, and then Dr. Sheila Fury was able to testify uh, for the last minute that was allowed. And uh, I think that's just, that's just criminal. You know, it's yeah. something that's a, it's a life or death issue. And they say, well, you only get five minutes. Yeah, it, um, it, it's beyond criminal. I mean, it's, it's just it's egregious. And, and the fact that, you know, again, uh, when I had the, the monoclonal antibody, um, treatment done. I talked to uh, one of the lead physicians um, over at the transfusion center and I asked him, I said, you know, if this is, if this is uh, something that actually does work and it has a high efficacy, um, you know, why are we not talking about it specifically within you know, our state where we have a, a governor, if I remember correctly, used to be a practicing physician himself has a PhD. You know, why wouldn't you talk about uh, treatment versus, you know, just pushing this, this narrative of, of, 
and getting vaccinated, of which we now have you know, data. This was back in August of, of 2021, and, and we had data that the vaccines um, decreased in efficacy and that we knew at that point in time that regardless of if you were vaccinated or not, you could still uh, transmit as well as, uh, you know, get, get the virus. Um, and, you know, he told me that Richmond Times Dispatch did an article on them or came out there and, and supposedly was going to do an article on them, and they never they never published it. So it never ran. And, uh, you know, I was like, to me, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It seems like there's there's more to it. And he kind of stepped back and, and did a little air quotations. And, and he thought, and he said himself, he was like, you know, it's my opinion, but I think that this is due to monetary gain. And, uh, and I said, well, well, how so? I was like, you know, if that is the case, this is a, a, a huge ethical issue. And, um, and he was like, well, you know, it, it's $500 out of pocket if you don't have insurance. And if you have insurance, it's whatever your deductible is um, to have the transfusion done. And I was like, so so is this something that's easily distributed? And he was like, yeah. And he was like, so there's no surplus issue here. And he was like, no, there, there is not a shortage of this at all. And I was like, <sighs> what what is the efficacy i was like you know what are the, the 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 chances as far as you know recovering and uh you know if you get the treatment within it was supposedly a, a 10 day period and he said well within the 10 days we're anywhere between 89 and 96 percent as far as the efficacy and usually it's within 24 to 48 hours that you know the individual recovers and so, you know, I had mine done and, and 24 hours later, sure enough, fever was gone. And, and this is after eight days of 101 to 103 degree temperature for me, shortness of breath, um, sharp pain in my sternum when I tried to breathe, flu-like symptoms, heavy, just heavy, heavy body aches everywhere, severe dehydration. Um, and I consider myself to be relatively healthy other than the fact that I have a very high sugar uh, intake uh, diet. And studies have shown so far that diabetics or pre-diabetics have a harder time um, with with COVID. But, you know, the fact that I had a treatment that was done and and it worked, and then I tried to tell people about it on social media and it got shut down, that's egregious because this is something that potentially will save lives, it, at least prevent hospitalization, but, but even more so save lives. And this is a monetary thing. You look at the pharmaceutical companies, you know, Pfizer and uh, Novavax, AstraZeneca, Johnson Johnson, these are being government funded um, and they're record breaking profit, profit years. And we're constantly seeing on television, if you watch sports or anything, sponsored by Pfizer, sponsored by Pfizer, sponsored by Pfizer. It, it, it really, it's hard not to question the motive behind all of this and the fact that we do have treatment that's readily available. Um, I remember watching uh, Dr. Uh, Peter McCollum uh, talking in, in, in the Senate, Texas, addressing the, the Texas Senate. Uh, he's a cardiologist and epidemiologist, and he was talking about treatment in the forms of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And, uh, you know, he was, he was saying, you know, it's not just one treatment specifically that sometimes works. Sometimes you have to have multiple treatments, just like any, any other practicing physician. You know, if you, if you take a scenario where you and I have the same cold and we go to the same doctor, but our symptoms are different. The doctor typically is going to look at the symptoms and then he's going to look at the medications that potentially will work for those symptoms. And there might be three different types of medications um, that, that, you know, might work for symptom A and B, but not C. And so, you know, he's going to prescribe whichever one he thinks is going to work the best and most effectively. But that's why they typically say, you know, follow up with me in, in a week or two weeks or three weeks, however severe the symptoms are at the time, um, because they're practicing. And the fact that we 
don't have an actual treatment. There is no protocol for treatment for individuals that have COVID. Uh, it, it's really concerning and it's, and it's, it's unprecedented that it's happened. Um, so, you know, for me, I've got my own, I think I have my own, um, thoughts and ideas as to, to what's going on. And, and I try not to, to go down too many rabbit hole conspiracy theories, but, but I do think a lot of it is, is monetary, um, unfortunately. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, uh, it will come out in the future, but we'll get reports of how much the money that congressmen and senators and our politicians have and Moderna and Pfizer and no, Novax and whatnot and how that influences their legislative decisions you know, and, and, you know, th- there's also things like, what was it, the, the FDA, they said that we want to, you know, th- keep the information on the vac, you know, the, the vaccine injured um, a secret until, you know, 55 years from now. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. when you have actions like that, it's very concerning Yeah. Um, that they want to hide it from the public for that long. Because at that point, it's like, well, what can you do 55 years from now? <laughs> it'll be, it'll yeah. be over. Well, you, you look know? at history, too. Pfizer, Pfizer's actually got a really bad rap sheet anyway because back in the i think it was 2008 maybe um they they were sued and they they were sued it's actually the 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 highest amount any pharmaceutical company's ever been sued but they released a uh, a, a drug that was supposed to lower uh blood cholesterol and uh it ended up causing strokes and, and heart attacks and they knew about this and uh the FDA knew about it and they approved it anyway. Um, and they ended up getting, you know, sued. I think they, they allowed it to, to basically be in circulation for six years. Uh, if I remember correctly, it's either six or eight years, but anyway, we had a, we have data that's shown between 40 and 60,000 people died, um, from this and no ramifications. The company wasn't dissolved, no arrests. I mean, nothing, nothing happened other than they, they were sued. They had to settle for a suit and, and I forget, it was like two, little over two billion dollars um but you look throughout history and the pharmaceutical companies as far as distributing these medicines or vaccines i mean there are adverse effects and the fact that they know that there can be potentially deadly adverse effects and they're still distributing it and and then the fda is approving it it's really hard to to, to debate on whether or not or refute the fact that this is a monetary thing. Um, and it's a shame because people are dying and we have treatment and it works. And, and unfortunately, you know, three weeks after I received the, the monoclonal antibody treatment, uh, the presidential administration uh, announced that they were rationing the monoclonal antibodies. And it was really interesting to see the states that they were rationing it from because primarily the states that they were rationing the monoclonal antibody treatment were red states um, and states that were not potentially pushing or forcing, you know, vaccines and, and mandates and whatnot. So it's hard to, to say it's not a monetary thing. It's hard to say this isn't also politicized to some extent. And uh, it's, it's, it's really concerning because we've had, you know, I mean, hundreds of thousands of, of, of deaths and, um, you know, it's, it's a shame because I think they, they could have been prevented uh, if we had a, a, a treatment of sorts, but, um, or at least one that was being talked about. You're, you're, you're damn right about that. And, uh, and some folks said that science, you know, I mean, politics doesn't have any business in science. Well, ever <laughs> since 2020, science has been intertwined with politics the entire time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Yeah. 
There's no escaping that fact. Yeah, and it's going to continue to be that way in the future. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And, um, you know, I, I don't really see a, I don't see a, a light uh, at the end of the tunnel on that one, unless we have some sort of regulatory, um, you know, board put in place. But then at that point, again, who's to, to say that these individuals wouldn't try to monetize um, however they may may see fit for themselves? It's just it's unfortunate. But uh you know, it's, it's one of those things I'm hoping within the next couple of years. Um, I actually saw, I think it was yesterday, either that or day before yesterday, um, Prime Minister um, over in the UK, they, they said that they're no longer going to be mandating masks, if I remember correctly. And I don't know if you saw You're that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. it's, kind of, it's interesting to see because, you know, I'd, I'd love to see that here. Um, but I just, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it'll, it'll after, never happen under joe biden you know yeah i was gonna say after watching joe biden last night it was oh god it's just so painful to watch just <laughs> the fact that I don't, I don't know if you saw last night when he went live then at the press conference but oh my gosh just, it was hard to follow because you know joe's he's unable to he's just cognitively unable to answer a question and oh and, i saw him yeah it took him 30 seconds to get one sentence out at one point. I'm like, yeah. are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. What's his favorite phrase? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's like, this is the leader of the new world. I, I just don't understand it. I mean, I don't understand what we, we haven't invoked a 25th amendment yet, but, but I don't know. Uh, it, what, what do I know? I'm just a, a average Joe when it comes to this kind of stuff, but uh, I don't know. It just doesn't seem, doesn't seem to add up, but uh, anyway. Um, well, you know, what's interesting is that, I mean, they're demo. So Biden's popularity one year into his presidency has dropped. I mean, even oh, within yeah. members of his own party. And there's a lot of rumblings about people. I mean, he, I think he's going to get primary. And yeah. I think even Hillary Clinton's going to throw her hat in the ring in 2024. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so either Biden, he can run again, get primary, or he can drop out. And then we'll have like Clinton or Kamala Harris. Um, I don't know about Bernie Sanders I if he's going to do it again, but a little rumor that Michelle Obama might uh, might might try to run, which uh, would be really interesting. That would yeah. be, yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm a lot of people have kind of you know obviously been talking about Trump running and and he's pretty much done everything but said he is running. Um, but I don't know. I, I kind of want to see something like a Ron DeSantis and. I know people in Florida would be probably a little upset, but I, I kind of want to see maybe a Ron DeSantis uh, mashup with somebody like, I don't know, maybe a little bit more progressive, like Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard is, I don't know if you you, you know a lot about her follower, but you know she she ran, uh, if I remember correctly, Democrat and got like 3% of the vote. Um, she was a senator in, uh, or was a senator um, in uh, Hawaii. She's, uh, she's currently Army Reserve. Um, and she's she's very much so conservative. Uh, I would say maybe if she's still technically, I don't think she's she's technically still tied to the Democratic Party. I don't know if she's announced independent or not, but but um, something like that would be a really good mashup. It'd be different, and I think I think we need something like that. I know you know we, we used to, and it's been a long time, and you probably know the history of it much better than I do. But if I remember correctly, we, we used to be able to have a. Uh, Republican president and a, a Democratic vice president. Um, and and yeah. I see, I Even can see Lincoln how that. Yeah, I can see how there'd be some problems there, but I also see, feel like there would be at least maybe a little bit more 
even keel, or at least some kind of happy medium that everybody would have to compromise on at all times. And it might make it a little bit more difficult um, for individuals that are in office. But I don't know. I, I, I almost feel like maybe that that would be something that could be advantageous too. Um, if it was utilized and, and obviously implemented properly, but unfortunately I don't think it'll ever happen again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, but Tulsi, she has the ability to, to potentially flip over, um, you know, to the Republican side. She was actually on, uh, she's been on Fox news quite a bit and, um, you know, she, she's, she's got some relatively conservative, um, values when it comes to you know human equality and, and equal rights but but also second amendment uh rights and um she's just she's a very charismatic person i, I really feel like she would have something going if her and ron DeSantis got together and, and you know i think if if trump decides to run and this is all of course subjective but if trump you know does run uh i don't know if DeSantis will i don't i don't know if he he will try to uh run against trump um but i don't know i mean it's it's you probably have more speculative uh, thoughts about it than I do. And you probably know a little bit more about it than I do, but it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, well, I've been watching the, the Drudge report and they, they've been, yeah. I, I know Matt Drudge has been putting out some articles when DeSantis and uh, Trump, I guess been spatting at each other. I mean, yeah. know, Trump's <laughs> going to insult anyone who goes after the position that he, he is seeking. So if DeSantis mm-hmm. can get away of that, insults are going to be forthcoming <laughs> and yeah. they asked him it's like would you support trump for president and he said well in, in desantis response was it's too early they, for me to answer that <laughs> so. yeah he's he's pretty tactful i mean i think he's done a really good job with with a lot of a lot of different things the way he's handled um you know the 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 virus uh, as far as the whole state of florida and how they handled you know everything that happened with the lockdowns and the mandates and, 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 you know, the implementation of the vaccines and, and, you know, I, I think he's done a really good job, especially under the pressure that he's been under. Plus also his personal, you know, personal life as well with his you know wife having breast cancer and, you know, they've got children and all that. I, I honestly don't know how he does it all. I mean, he's a, a master at just juggling different affairs and whatnot, but I think that um, you know, he would be a great candidate. Uh, Don't you the love it when, when the Democrats were attacking him? They're like, where's Ron DeSantis when the COVID cases are up? And then, <laughs> oh, well, he's at the hospital with his wife who's going through, you know, cancer treatments. I mean, yeah, you yeah. know, they, they make complete asses of themselves. <laughs> that's what they do. I mean, that's that's I think ties back into why people are so just fed up with with all of it. But anyway, um, long we we could totally. I could talk about this kind of stuff forever. I'm going to close off. I just want you to kind of close off as to, you know, let people know, you know, if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to, to, you know, leave with us and, and um, I appreciate you coming on. 